going to talk again about the ideal of the uh, arrival of Christ. We've been thinking about Advent all December. We've been preaching through Advent. And the ideal of Advent, it's a, it's a term that means arrival. Advent means arrival. And sometimes what ends up, what we end up getting caught up in is the idea that, that it's the arrival of a gift that we receive, right? But, but Advent is kind of like an arrival of two gifts. And we're anticipating both. So, so think about, think about when you, when you during Christmas time, maybe you've done this, maybe you've done this for your children, maybe you've had this experience in your own life, but think about a time in your life where your parents said, you've been really, really good all, all December. And so here's what I'm going to do. I know Christmas isn't for a few days, but I'm going to let you open up a gift. You pick up the, you pick up whichever one you want to open. How exciting is that, right? Because you got two gifts that you've been really, really, really anticipating. You've told mom about these gifts. You've told dad about these gifts. And all year long, they know that these are the two gifts that you want. And so you, you're like, all right, I know, I, man, both of these gifts are equally good. I don't know which one I'm going to pick. Any, many, mighty, all right, I'll get this one. And you get it and you open it and it's the, the greatest day ever. And you're, and you're playing with this gift and you play with it for hours and hours and hours. And it is so exciting. And, but there's another gift over there, right? And so immediately your attention starts, starts being diverted from the gift that you have to the gift that's coming. And, you, and, and, and now this gift is still special. This gift is still precious. But you can't stop thinking about the other gift that you're going to receive. And Advent is like that. Advent is the arrival of a gift. And Titus tells us that, that this gift has come. But then Titus tells us also that, or Paul tells Titus, the young Titus, that while this gift has come, there is, there is also another gift to come. And so I want to spend a little time talking about the two gifts. He says the first, the first question we ask ourselves as we look at these two gifts is, what has appeared? What has come? What gift have we received? And Paul tells Titus in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Quite simply, God's grace has appeared. The gift of God's grace has come. And so the first question out of that question is, what is the grace of God? And Merriam-Webster would define grace as a divine assistance, an unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. In other words, grace is a significant demonstration of kindness and or favor that is often shown in the form of an undeserving and unmerited gift. Kindness and favor shown through a gift. So the grace of God is God's kindness, favor, unmerited, undeserving, most likely manifesting itself in the gift, which leads to my next question. How has the grace of God been manifested? The grace of God has appeared, Titus, Paul says. But how has the grace of God appeared? In what way has it been manifested? Because grace often comes in a gift. So how in particular has God manifested his grace in the form of a gift? Paul gives us a clue in the very next words. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all or bringing salvation for all people, making salvation available 
to all people. So when we hear that, we must ask ourselves, who or what does the Bible connect to salvation? Who or what does the Bible connect to salvation? And it gives us the answer in the Bible. Acts chapter 4, the disciples, when speaking to men, said, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the Jesus that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then it says this, they say this, and there is, in verse 12 of chapter 4, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Bible connects salvation to no other person or no other thing but Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no one else. So when we hear about the grace of God appearing and making salvation available to everyone, we should understand that the grace of God has been chiefly manifested in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is what we are celebrating during the Advent season, during the Christmas season. Grace appearing in the form of Jesus and bringing the gift of himself to us. God's most significant showing of grace to us is not giving us another day in this life. That is precious grace, but that is not the most significant grace. God's most significant grace to us is not giving us a roof over our heads. That is precious grace, but that is not your most significant grace. Nor is it food in your belly. Those are precious graces, but those are not God's most significant grace to you. The most significant grace that God has given us is the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. When when the grace of God appeared, it was Jesus who came. Which leads to my third question um, among these sub-questions of what exactly has appeared, and that is, what is the grace of God doing? The grace of God, what is it doing? Well, Paul tells Titus that the grace of God is doing a few things. The first thing that he says is that the grace of God brought salvation. The word of God tells us that this grace is bringing salvation for all people, making salvation available for all people. Salvation from what? Someone might ask. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, it tells us, but God shows his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved, listen, by him from the wrath of God. So what shall we be saved from? We shall be saved by Christ from the wrath of the Father. We have to be saved from the wrath of God? Why do we have to be saved from the wrath of God? Because sin requires judgment. If we ask who is the offended party, then the answer is God. We've offended God. We've offended God's law. We've offended God's ways. We've offended God's standard. We've disregarded his holy will. You see that in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Adam's sin caused them to be kicked out of the garden. I didn't say Adam's sins. I said Adam's sin. One singular sin pushed them out of the garden and introduce death into the world. And so for all, all those who follow 
in terms of sin, being sinners and being corrupted by sin, they face similar death and similar judgment. But this is how the grace of God appeared. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood and death, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is Christmas. When the child appeared, grace appeared. But grace didn't appear as a gift with no use. Grace appeared first bringing salvation through the finished work of that child who became a man and died for us all. But then also grace appeared and brought training, according to Paul, as he writes to Titus. He says, verse 11, for the grace of God appeared and then... It brought salvation. And what else did it do? Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace didn't just appear to bring salvation, but it appeared, to, it, it, it appeared in order to teach us how to live in light of that salvation. If the grace of God is most prominently manifested through the person and work of Jesus Christ, if that grace appeared and if that grace is training us, then that means that grace is training us, according to Paul, to turn from ungodly ways. In other words, to teach us to turn from that which brings displeasure from God. Grace did not appear empty handed. Grace appeared with utility for you right now. Grace appeared to train us to turn from worldly passions, teaching us to say no to all the lust of the flesh that wage war in our hearts. Telling us that we can find lasting satisfaction in them when the, re when the reality is that they are only temporary fixes, temporary highs. Grace appeared to teach us to say no to our addictions, to teach us to say no to our lust, to teach us to say no to the passions waging war in our souls. Grace appeared to help us live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, in an age that is uncontrolled, debased, and ungodly. Grace appeared to teach you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly. So in other words, as you begin to reflect on the fact of, I don't know if I can live like God has called me to live in such a crazy world, Paul would answer, grace appeared just for that reason. That the son came and died. And when he died, that he sent his very own spirit as a product of his finished work. And now that spirit lives on the inside of you just precisely for that purpose. He knew that, that lusts were waging war in your flesh. He knew that this world was dark and dreary and corrupt and lustful. And yet, grace appeared to help you, to train you, to teach you. This is how it was prophesied in the Old Testament by the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel when he said 
speaking about the day when the new covenant would come. Ezekiel 36, he says, and I will put my spirit within you. Grace appeared and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will put my spirit in you after my son completes his work. When Christ completed his work and ascended into heaven, he does not leave us alone, but instead he sends his spirit in order to help us say no to temptations, behaviors, and actions that are outside of his will. So what has appeared, the grace of God has appeared in the person and work in Jesus. God with us, the baby in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in his mother's arms, and yet sufficient enough to save the entire world while he lays there. But this grace didn't just appear to deliver us from the eternal consequences of disobedience through the Son, but this grace also appeared to say no to disobedience through the Spirit. Does so it make sense? Tomorrow, as we gather with our families, remembering Christmas and the meaning and the significance of it, we must remember the greatest gift. That is Christ. Christ. And we must remember that grace came in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what Christmas is all about. But lastly, as we come to our second point and last and final point, what when he, what will appear? We talked about what has appeared, but what will appear? What is the other gift, right? We've opened, we've opened the first package and we see grace and grace is great, right? And man, I'm loving, I'm enjoying grace. I'm, I'm enjoying grace. My life is, is, is full of sin, and, 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 and I don't do everything right all the time, and, 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 I, don't, and I don't know how I'm going to live in this world, and yet grace appeared. And so I'm enjoying grace. I'm enjoying being forgiven, and I'm enjoying the fact that the Spirit of God is training me to live upright for Him. But what's in the other box? Verse 13 and 14 Paul tells Titus what's in there. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So the grace of God has appeared, but the glory of God will appear. The grace of God has arrived in the person and work of Jesus Christ as he lived on this earth and lived the life that none of us can live and die to die, die to death that we all deserved. But as we live in light of this grace that has appeared and we look around, we can't help ourselves but, but ask ourselves, is there more, Right? Oftentimes, Christmas can be a reminder, not just of what we're receiving, but what we've lost. Oftentimes, we march into the Christmas holidays having to stare grief in the face. We ask ourselves tough questions, even in light of this grace that we've received and that we celebrate. Will suffering in, will death in, as our video spoke of? How long will we endure bad news? How many more people do I have to see 
personally die? Will poverty end? Will hatred and division end? Will people continue to deny one another human dignity on nothing more than the color of their skin or the differences in their culture? Will temptation end? Will I continue to struggle with desires to do the very things that I know God doesn't want me to do? And if I'm honest, I don't even want to do it, yet I still find myself tempted to do it. Christmas can be a reminder that even though Christ has come to this earth, this earth still doesn't feel right. See, Advent isn't just about one appearance. Grace has appeared. But Advent is about celebrating that appearance as we wait joyously and patiently for the second. Grace has appeared, but glory is coming. Grace has appeared, but glory is coming. The first experience or the first appearance we've already experienced and, and, and that, that appearance, it brought salvation for all people. It made salvation available to all people. And that appearance is training us to turn from our sin and training us to turn towards God. But God's grace through Christ and his spirit isn't only teaching us to renounce ungodliness. It isn't only teaching us to have self-control, but it is also teaching us where our hope should be placed. Bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness, and as we wait for our blessed hope, it's training us to look up instead of look around. The second appearance is the conclusion of the story because the second appearance is the appearance of the glory of God through the risen and victorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first appearance, he comes in a baby wrapped in human flesh. The second appearance, he comes in a glorified body with all power and authority in his hand, ready to set in order and set right all the things that were wrong, ready to wipe all the tears away, ready to alleviate all suffering, ready to heal all wounds. It is here where what is broken will be restored. What is sick will be healed. Where, where It's here where what is poor will be made rich. It is here where what is hated and, and divided will be united and loved. It is here where sin will no longer be a presence to tempt us. It is here where Satan will be defeated. Jesus, in his final hours before the crucifixion, he told the religious elite, from now on, in other words, this is an hour of weeping, but from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He says, right now, this is a time of sorrow, but glory is coming. It was his way of saying, yes, when I return, everything that will be, that everything that's wrong about this world will be made right. Everything broken will be mended. Everything lost will be restored. And this is the appearance that we are looking to. As we open our gifts, as we sit down with our families tomorrow, we can talk about the baby and we can talk about the first appearance, but make sure you don't miss the second appearance. 
Make sure you remind them that, yes, I know that there are some things that aren't right. And yes, I know that we can't get all the gifts that we wanted to get. And yes, I know that grandma ain't going to be here this year because she's gone on to be with the Lord or or, or dad's not going to be here because he's gone on. But make sure you remind them that glory is coming and all of the tears will be gone. But what do we do in the meantime? As we stand between these two gifts, as we have one gift in hand and yet we keep looking at the other, what do we do in the meantime? We wait. We wait for our blessed hope. But how do we wait? We wait by living the life that we've been called to live. You see, this passage that, 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 we, that we're talking about, Titus 2, chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, is actually snatched out of a larger passage. In the larger passage, beginning at verse 1, Paul is telling Titus, giving Titus a bunch of instruction. He tells Titus, for example, tell your older men to be sober and dignified and self-controlled and sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. Tell your older women, likewise, to be the same way, to be reverent in their behavior. In other words, to, 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 to garner reverence, to garner respect by how they conduct themselves in this life, to not be slanderers and spread, spread gossip or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and train younger women to those that are married, to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure. He says, he talks to the younger men. He says the younger men, urge them to be self-controlled. And as, as for yourself, a younger man, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. He even talks to the, those that have masters that rule over them. He says, for the bond service, be submissive. In everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering and stealing and robbing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And then it says in verse 11, for the grace of God. And he begins to talk about these two packages, grace and glory. So in other words, Paul is teaching us how to live in the middle. Does that make sense? In the middle while we wait on glory and we anticipate glory, live upright, sober, self-control. Look to train and disciple those around you. Those that have been in the faith, look to find someone and bring them under your, under your wing and walk with them in the faith that they might grow as well. That's how you wait. It's not a passive way. It's an active way. Does that make sense? And why are we doing that? Why am I training? Why am I teaching? Why am I living an upright and upstanding life? Why am I volunteering and serving? Why am I sharing my goods with those who don't have? It's quite simple. Because grace has appeared to me and because glory is coming for me. I've been given the two greatest gifts 
in all of the universe. So out of thanksgiving for these gifts, I live this life that my Savior has called me to live.